Well, good morning. As uh, Pastor Josh said, my name is Patricia. I'm the creative arts pastor here at Rainy Life, and we've been in a teaching series titled Four Letter Words. Basically, you know, sometimes things happen in life that we don't always like, and when those things happen, sometimes certain words pop into our minds and come out of our mouths that are not always of God or good. So within this series, we want to replace those words with um, some others that maybe would be helpful and would be good and would be of God. But before I tell you the word we're going to chat about this morning, I want to tell you a story. Um, for those of you who don't know, I grew up in Maine. I was born and raised there. And uh, I went to college for about a year and a half in Maine, and then I dipped over to Canada for five years and went to school there because Canadians are fun. And, uh, <laughs> but when I was in, going to college in Maine, there was a particular semester that was harder than others. And uh, there was just a time in my life, a season in my life, that I was just wrestling with a lot of personal things as well. And um, then during the semester, we had a professor pass away. And it was really, uh, uh, it shocked us. We didn't expect it. You know, you go into class one day and you go into class the next and you expect the same people to be there. And there was a group of us from the class that were just having a really hard time with that. And trying to understand, um, for me, trying to understand God's goodness and where he was in the midst of all that was going on in my life. For them, they're not believers. So for them, it was just like, it's just another reason to not believe, you know. Um, but we all came on this, this solid ground, the same ground of we just need to get away. We need to get away from where we are right now and just go somewhere, do something different, do something fun. And we saw that a group from the college, uh, they were going to go hike this beautiful thing. I didn't take this picture, but I've stood where this picture is taken. This is Mount Katahdin. It's the tallest mountain in Maine. It's 5,267 feet. It takes about uh, between 8 and 12 hours to hike it, depending on how fast you do that. And uh, depending on how you look at it, it's either the beginning or the end of the Appalachian Trail. And for me, it was always on my bucket list. I grew up in the country from in Maine. We say the Willywacks. I grew up in the Willywacks. And... Uh, I just, I always wanted to climb it. I love hiking. I grew up swimming in the river. I grew up in the dirt. Like, I'm just all about that life. And my friends, not so much. They grew up in the city. They'd never been hiking in their life. And so for some reason, we thought, let's go on this trip. And I was like, yes, this is going to be hilarious. This is going to be a fun trip. Uh, but also in my life, I was like, God, you always meet me in your creation. That's where I, I just feel the closest with God. Um, and so I was like, God, I just hope that on this trip you'll reveal yourself to me. I need a fresh word from you. I just, I need to hear something from you that I haven't before. I need to know that you're still good. That's what I need to know, God. Because I was really at this point where I was like, okay, I'm going to follow you or I'm not. Because I need you to show up. And uh, so we, we get ready to go. We, you have to meet with the rangers. So we met at this cabin. That's a little grainy, sorry. Uh, because you have to check in and say, okay, this many is, is leaving at this time because if, if you get lost, they want to be able to come and find you. There's actually a book called Lost on a Mountain in Maine, and we didn't want to be that. Uh, so you check in with the ranger, and we've got all of our gear, right? We've got our backpacks on. We're ready to go. And uh, we've got all of our, our nutrients that we think that we need. We've got our, our hiking sneakers on. We have our water bottles because you need water. And we're ready to go. I'm like, this is, this is exciting. I love hiking. Uh, Sturgis makes me a little bit sad because there's not a lot of mountains here. Um, 
But we were excited. Let's go. And uh, so we hike for about two and a half to three hours. And it's like more of like the man-made trails, but you're in the woods and it just is like home. And for about two and a half to three hours, we did that. But our leaders set a really fast pace. Not good. You don't start an eight to 12 hour hike like running up the mountain. That's not what you do. Um, but our leaders had to just set a really fast pace, and we made it to Chimney Pond, which was the first resting place that they had created, and my friend Alicia threw up. Like, she just could not handle the pace. She couldn't handle it, and she actually ended up going back down the mountain. So our leaders are like, okay, like, maybe we should rest occasionally. That's probably a good idea. And so we set a better pace, and then we ended up at the foot of what's called Cathedral Trail. And I'm standing at the base of this trail, and I'm looking up the mountain, and I'm realizing I think this hike is going to be a bit different than any other mountain I've ever hiked on before. Uh, because it, it started like this, and I was like, okay, I, I can do that. It's just, it's rocks, it's boulders, we can do this. Um, but as we, we started to hike, we noticed that instead of like this, we were hiking like this, and then we were like this, and then we were like this. And then it was like boulders, so then it turned into this kind of thing, and this kind of thing, and this. I was super excited that I found a picture of this because I remember this rock. I can't tell you how many times we climbed up it and slid back down it, and climbed up it and slid back down it. But there are these blue arrows, and you have to follow the arrows because that's the trail that you're following. And if you don't follow them, you could fall off the mountain. Okay. So... Up we go, down we go, up we go, down we go. We finally did it, and I, there was one moment where my friend Nick and I, and Nick is not the most physically active person in the world, were like holding on to these boulders, and he's like, it's been great knowing you, and I was like, and you too, and like we had this super dramatic moment on this mountain because we thought we were going to die. And uh, then we get through the cathedral trail, and we're like, okay, and we have like our resting again. And then we get to like the next part because there, there seemed to be like a group of this kind of hiking and then this kind of hiking and then this kind of hiking and well, rock climbing. I don't think it's really hiking. You don't really hike up Mount Katahdin in my opinion. But then we get to this other part that it's a bit flatter, but they're smaller rocks, which aren't easy to climb in either. Um, but then it starts snowing, snowing, so it felt like we were climbing this. I mean, this, it wasn't that bad, but it was snowing and it started to rain so then we were getting wet. So then we were, we were hot because we were hiking. Then we were cold because we were wet. And it was just, it was miserable. And then we get to the top of the mountain. Everybody takes a picture with the Katahdin sign. It's like the famous Katahdin sign. And, uh, but we didn't see this view. Instead, we saw this view. This guy's still pretty excited. Uh, but we saw this view. And instead of seeing this, we saw this. And I just, because I, I didn't know we had made it to the top. You know, usually when you get to the top of a mountain, you know you've made it to the top. But I, I didn't realize we had, and when I did, I was so disappointed. Because I was in a place where I was like, God, I just, need to, I just need to see you and feel you and know that you're still real. And I just, I remember taking off my backpack, and I remember just putting it down. And I remember just sitting down on the rocks. And I remember just sitting there feeling so betrayed. Like, God, you know my heart. You know the season of life I'm in right now. You know the loss that we're feeling. And you know, you know I just wanted to be able to see the view and you couldn't even give me that. And I just, I was angry. And I just, I, up on the top of that mountain, I just said it all. I said, 
four-letter words that weren't good. <laughs> I was just like, really? Really, God? And then there was this moment after I had, you know, talked all about myself and made it all about me and all of that. I really felt like his presence just showed up. His spirit showed up and he said, Patricia, just because you can't see it doesn't mean it's not there. And just because life isn't great right now, it doesn't mean that I'm not good. And it was one of those moments that I was completely humbled and like brought back down to my humanity. <laughs> just because you don't see it doesn't mean it's not there. And just because life isn't great doesn't mean it's not good. And since then, which since it's been like eight or nine years since then, which is wild to me. And since then, I've continued to walk with Jesus and I've learned more about him and about God and his spirit. And I, I still don't know it all. But I do know that that moment on Mount Katahdin was, I think, one of the first moments where I really felt like I entered into rest with God. And so if you're wondering what this morning's word is, it's rest. Now, if you were to Google the word right now, if you were to Google it, you would find the definition that it means to cease work or movement in order to relax, refresh oneself, or recover strength. We're not very good at that, are we? Rest is not something we do. We don't just stop working and, and be okay with that. Sometimes we do stop working, we're just not okay with it. So we're, we're just high strung, we're on, on vacation, right? We plan a vacation, but we work so hard so that we can go on the vacation. Then you go on the vacation and you're so tired and exhausted. And then you go back to work and you're more tired than you were when you left for vacation. Anybody relate with that? We're really not good at rest. We have a problem with it because uh, we want to, we want to rest, we want to go on vacation, but we always put it on this shelf because we have A, B, C, and D to do. And then we're like, okay, once we get that done, then we'll rest. Once we, once we do all this, then we'll do this. And we struggle with rest because we struggle with another four-letter word, and that is busy. We're really good at this word. This is something that we've got down to a T. There's a book called Crazy Busy, and I don't remember the author's name, but he was writing a story about this girl who is from a different country, and she had come over to the States. And people started asking her, like, what her name was. And she said, I'm busy. I'm busy. And finally, somebody pulled her aside and said, is that really your name? Like, is that the name that's written on your birth certificate? And she goes, oh, no. I just, she was like, I just noticed I was watching as people interact here. And it would be like, how are you? And their response would be, I'm busy. So she thought that that's how we greet each other in America. I'm busy. But it just shows you that that's the kind of culture that we're in. We work, work, work. We're busy, busy, busy. Because the world tells us that we need to be. If you don't work, you're lazy. If you only do this much, well, then you don't give 100%. And it, and it feels like we're always wrestling. We're always wrestling because we want rest. We want to be able to just sit in God's presence. We want to be able to just get it right but we're trying to keep up with what the world tells us we need to be doing. And so we have a problem with rest. Real quick, if, if you were to look up the word busy, it's having a great deal to do, keep occupied. They didn't use as many words to define busy as they did rest because we understand busy. It's pretty simple. But we would define rest as simply not working. If you, 9.99% 9 of the definitions you look up, this is what you would find as the definition for rest to not work, to cease, uh, to cease from working. 
And I have to tell you, I have a really, uh, I have a really big problem with that definition because I don't think that is the definition that God intended when he called us to rest. In the world, rest means to stop working, sure. But I think sometimes you can not work and not be resting. And, and then I actually had somebody come up after service and say, yeah, my rest is my work. And I believe that that's the case too. Sometimes you can have a job that you love so much, so much and it is refreshing and it is resting. So if that's the case, like resting from work, aren't you resting from what's refreshing? It's like this whole circle and web and it's crazy. But there's a lot of different reasons why I believe that rest isn't ceasing from work in the spiritual or the biblical sense. Rest is a promise. I'm going to explain what I mean by that. Rest is a promise. You know, if you go back to Genesis, and I love to go back to Genesis because it's where we all began and it's our foundation. But God created the world on the first, second, third, fourth, fifth, sixth days. Make sure I got my numbers all right. Uh, he created the world, and God created it, and he said that it was good. And there was morning, and there was evening on the first, second, third, fourth, fifth, and sixth days. But on the seventh day, I find it really interesting that Scripture says on the seventh day, God rested, and he called it holy. But it doesn't record that there was morning or evening on the seventh day. And as I read that, it's something I've read multiple times since I was a kid in Sunday school. I just never read it in that way. And I just started to wonder, so what if rest isn't just a day thing? What if rest isn't something just, that just happens one day a week and then you're done with it for the week? Or one day a month and then you're done with it for the month? Or one day a year and then you're done with it for the year? What if rest is something different than how we in our world and our culture define it. So then, you know, as you continue to read more, more in scripture and you read more of the stories and more of the places where God calls us to rest, it becomes this promised place, this promised land. And if you read in the Exodus story, I'm not sure if you're familiar with it, but most of you I think are, there were Israelites who were enslaved in Egypt and God called Moses, a man to come and lead those people out of slavery and he was to lead them to the promised land, which was a place of rest. In the old covenant, Moses was to be the person to lead them into rest. Rest, something that I believe God created in the beginning when he created the rest of the world. This is like a mind-blowing revelation for me, and I'm going to geek out about it, and I apologize. But it just makes me wonder if we've got the definition of rest wrong. It's not just, today I'm going to not work, and this is it. I think there's more to it than that. If you go to Hebrews, um, which is where we'll largely be this morning, and, and you can go to page 969 in your bench Bibles if you want to follow along, because there is a, a large section here, and I don't have it all up here. Um, but in chapter 3 of Hebrews, you see this, um, you see the story of Moses and, and the reiteration of it and what happened in this promise that God had, give them, had given them. But they wandered in the wilderness for 40 years, and they never made it into the promised land. They never made it into this place of rest because of their lack of unbelief. That's what Hebrews says in chapter 3. So we see that they were not able to enter because of their unbelief. And the thing is, like, God showed them miracle after miracle after miracle. He promised them, no, like, you will make it into the promised land. Like, this is where I'm leading you. I am leading you into my rest. 
And they saw miracle after miracle after miracle, but they never saw the promised land. And they had almost this kind of Mount Katahdin moment in their life where I was like, I can't see it, I don't believe it. And for them, it was like, we can't see it, so we don't believe it. And because of their unbelief, they never actually entered into it. And then you go into chapter 4 in Hebrews, which this is, we'll read most of chapter 4 here. Then we find that there's the old covenant of Moses leading the people into rest. And then we find this new covenant, and the new covenant is found in Jesus. Jesus came, Jesus died, Jesus rose to be the person that was to lead us into this new rest, this new rest that God has created for us. And so I'm going to pick up in chapter 4, verse 1. It says, therefore, since the promise of entering his rest still stands, this is where I think rest is a promise. Rest is something that is gifted. Rest is something that God has given us. Therefore, since the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us be careful that none of you be found to have fallen short of it. For we also have had the good news proclaimed to us just as they did. They, as in the Israelites, just as they did. But the message they heard was, was of no value to them because they did not share the faith of those who obeyed. Now we who have believed enter that rest. Just as God said, so I declared an oath in my anger, they shall never enter my rest. Again, that's bringing you back to the Exodus. And yet his works have been finished since the creation of the world. This is the part where I'm like, what? And yet his works have been finished since the creation of the world. For somewhere he has spoken about the seventh day in these words. On the seventh day, God rested from his works. And again, in the passage above, he says, they shall never enter my rest. So it, it almost insinuates that in the beginning, God created rest. That was part of the creation. And I've never thought of rest as something that God created in the beginning. I've never thought it as something that God intentionally said on this day, this is what's going to be. And this is going to be a space and a place and I'm going to be a God that they can enter in and rest with. That's what the garden was supposed to be. It was supposed to be a resting place where we walk in the cool of the day with the Father. And it, it's, it's incredible that since then, God is still like, no, my promise is still the same. I still want you to enter into rest with me. Ever since the beginning, that's been my plan. And um, then we see in the new covenant, like Jesus is part of that plan. If you rest in him, then you rest in God. Then he continues and says, Therefore, since it still remains for some to enter that rest, and since those who formerly had the good news proclaimed, oh, I already read that, sorry, verse 8, for if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken later about another day. And then I have the next verses up here. It says, so then, there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God, for whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. So let us therefore strive to enter that rest. So you're like, okay, so we're supposed to enter his rest. How do we do that? How do we combat all that's going on in the world? Because we all know if we're all being real with one another, our weeks get crazy. There are moments where we get crazy. There are moments where it's like, okay, I'm on the verge of a psychotic breakdown right now because of all that is going on. So how do you truly rest in God? How do you truly rest in who he is? What does rest even mean in our world then? And, and, and how do we handle it? I think, um, and I'm, I'm not the wisest person in the world, but I, I can only stand upon what I've read in Scripture and I can stand upon just what I've seen God be in my life and who I've seen him to be. I think that this is how I define rest. That rest isn't running away from what is happening in the world, 
Rest is remembering who God is in the midst of all that is happening in the world. So how do you do that? You know your schedule better than I know your schedule. So how do you take those moments where you rest in him? I think the best way to rest, truly rest, the rest in the sense that God created in the beginning, is to rest in who he is, like the actual attributes that God has. I think that's how we rest. It was like on Mount Katahdin where I'm sitting there and I'm making it all about me and my body and I'm just feeling like this, like this is how my body is. But then as soon as my focus shifts from myself to him, I can, I can feel myself loosening up. I can feel that something else happens in that place. And for me, I think, I think that's when you truly rest, is when you know who God is and you're resting in who he is, knowing that he is bigger and greater than anything that's going on in your life. So I have a few um, attributes that God has up on the screen with some verses. We don't have time this morning to go over all of them, but maybe this is a few to practically help you apply this to your life uh, because I like, I like practical application. So for instance, rest in God's refuge. Do you rest in his refuge? Here's a verse. Psalm 91 says, He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say to the Lord, my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. Do you trust? Do you believe that God is your refuge? Like, do you actually believe that he is your firm foundation, that he is your fortress, that when everything else is crumbling in your life, he still stands and is still firm? Do you believe that? Here's a reflection. So where do you dwell? Whose refuge do you seek? Do you try to dwell in the world in the midst of all that's going on, or do you dwell in him? Whose refuge are you seeking? Are you seeking the refuge of everyone else around you but not seeking his? I think if you were to take time and really believe that God is your refuge, I think if you were to do that, you would find true rest. Or what about resting in God's faithfulness? Do you rest in his faithfulness? Proverbs 3, and this is one of my favorite verses. It says, those of you who know your name, oh, those who know your name trust in you. For you, Lord, have never forsaken those who seek you. You, Lord, have never forsaken those who seek you. So reflect. Where have you seen God's faithfulness in your life? Like right now, in this moment, think about a time in your life where you've seen God to be faithful. And then with that, do you believe God is the same God today as he was then? And that moment where you know God is faithful, you still believe that God is the same. God doesn't change. Because I think if you believe that, I think you would find rest. I think you would find that you can enter into rest with him. Or rest in God's grace. This is a big one. Here's the verse, 2 Corinthians. My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is perfected in weakness. This, this verse literally blows my mind. Because it's like, really, God, like, you know my heart. You know where I've been. You know what I've done. Like, you know the moments where I'm not the most holy. You know the moments where I think unkind things. Like, you know that about me, and you're telling me that your grace is sufficient even for that? Really? Really? And I think if you believe that, if you believe God's grace is big enough and sufficient enough for even you, I think that you would be able to enter into rest. Rest in God's nearness. Did you know that God is always present? Did you know that? Did you know that 
He's to my left and to my right and in front and behind. There's a scripture that says he hems us in. He goes before. That is who God is. His own son, Emmanuel, it means God with you. God sent his son so that we could always have him near. Do you believe that? There's a verse that says, fear not for I am with you. That's a pretty easy verse to memorize. If you need a verse to memorize to remind you who God is, fear not for I am with you. Do you believe that he's with you, that he's near you? And what fears could you release right now? There may be something in your life or, or just decisions in your life that you're just holding on to and you don't want to release control because you're just so afraid and you feel all alone. Do you know that God is with you and he's big enough for even those things? So maybe you should just release them. Because I think that if you did, you'd be able to enter into rest with him. Or what about resting in God's wisdom? I'm not the smartest tool in the shed. <laughs> and so I, I go to God a, a lot. Because I'm like, God, I don't know what I'm doing. I don't know what I'm saying. I don't know who I am. Like, you just need to teach me, teach me, teach me. There's a verse in James that says, If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given to him. So here's a reflection question. Where in your life do you need to ask God for wisdom? Maybe there are decisions you have to make and, and things that are just going on in your life that you just don't understand, and it's making you do this. Maybe you just need to go before God and say, God, I just, I need your wisdom. And if you believe that he's strong enough, if you believe that he can speak to you, if you believe that he's near, if you believe that he's wise, I think you'll be able to enter into rest. Or resting in God's power. This one's pretty self-explanatory. I mean, this is the God who parted the Red Sea and tied lions' mouths together. Like, that's pretty amazing. It's amazing. Do you believe that God is all-powerful? Do you believe that he is strong enough and able enough to hold you. Psalm 127 says, unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. Just a quick thing here. What are you trying to build without him? Maybe you're restless about something and he's not in it. Maybe the reason you're restless is because he's not in it. So seek his wisdom. Seek him. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. This is a verse you need to get this morning, okay? Make sure you write this one down. It is in vain that you rise up early and go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil, for he gives to his beloved sleep. He gives it to us. Because in case you didn't know, like, you are his beloved. He calls us his bride. He is the groom. We are the bride. He calls us his beloved. And he gives us sleep. So why are you not sleeping? I don't know. You know what's ironic? I'm speaking on, on rest this morning, and I did not sleep well at all last night. <laughs> So God has a funny sense of humor. And I'm just like, God, but you give me sleep. Like, you give it to me. Like, just tonight. Out of all nights, I just need to be able to sleep tonight. Um, but maybe you're just, you're lying awake at night and you're just anxious and you can't sleep. Maybe you just need to go over those. God is graceful. God is merciful. God is faithful. And, and recognize who he is. Joyce Meyer says this. She says, now the rest of God is not a rest from work. It's a rest in work. It's partnering with God to do what he is calling you to do by his grace and leaving the part you can't do in his hands, trusting him to do it. That's really hard sometimes, isn't it? Hebrews 4.3 says it this way, For he who have believed enter that rest, so we start believing. I believe rest is a promise, but I believe you can't enter it unless you believe. Unless you believe in who God is, unless you believe that God is 
rest. And that in him, only in him, only in Christ can you truly find rest. Uh, Pastor Josh and Ian are going to come out and and we're going to just take a moment to be still. And we're going to reflect on these two verses. This one is Psalm 62. It says, my soul, find rest in God. My hope comes from him. This is an easy verse to memorize and stick on your refrigerator or in your car as well. My soul, find rest in God. We're going to hear a song that's called Come Away. And during this time, I just want you to reflect on this verse and and make that a prayer in your life. My soul, find rest in God. And then Jesus says this in Matthew 11. Come to me, all you who are weary, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Do you notice that there are two I am statements here? I am gentle and humble in heart, and in that you can find my rest. So come to me. Why are you so afraid? Just come to me.